You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the D&B Supply Show. This is your host, Matt Breckwald. Great to be with you here today. Well, here we are. We're in August. It's hot, and it's been hot. It's finally got hot this summer, and I will tell you that on my place out in CUNA, I go along for a large part of the summer completely forgetting about wasps and then all of a sudden I start bumping into huge wasp nests and I always go why didn't I remember this and deal with this earlier in the year well this year I was actually finally a little bit proactive about this and it's really made a big difference on our place there's still wasps but I tend to know where they're going to build their nests and I can deal with those that I'm going to come in conflict with early if I act proactively Well, I decided that this has got to be a problem for everybody within the sound of my voice, and I wanted to get some expert, I don't know, just expert information on what wasps are, which ones will actually sting you, what you can do to mitigate them. Are there other things we can do to control them that we don't have to go out and spray or whatever it may be, and decided to bring that to you. So we formed a great episode today. I get to speak with Paul Castrovillo, who's an entomologist with the Idaho State Department of Agriculture. And he has got a ton of information. So we're going to have that to you here in a moment. And hopefully it will help to keep you from getting stung this year and help you to peacefully coexist with the stinging wasps, the hornets, all of that that hang around wherever it is that you call home. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> you bet. I appreciate you letting us, uh, you know, borrow all of your expertise today to talk about wasps. I, they're here all summer, but I know at the end of the summer when it gets really hot, that's when that's when I tend to get stung. So I thought it'd be a good time to talk about it. Sounds good to me. <laughs> all right. Well, let's do this. I'd love to introduce you to our audience. If you could, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, uh, I am the entomologist at Idaho State Department of Agriculture. I've had that position for about six years now. I've been interested in entomology since the mid-1960s, so I've collected a lot of bugs, studied a lot of bugs, read a lot of things about insects, and every time I go out, I learn something new that I didn't know before because they're so interesting and uh, there are so many different kinds out there. Well, so what are your, you know, this is just another topic I could run into if I had the time, but... Uh, as an entomologist for the State Department of Agriculture, what are your, what is your job? How are you dealing with insects and things like that in terms of the lens of the Department of Agriculture? So one of the main parts of my job is uh, doing insect surveys throughout the state, looking for invasive insect pests, insects that we generally don't have here but we're worried might make their way into the state and become a a pest on wheat or corn or something like that. So uh, I I get calls about pine beetles and Douglas fir tussock moths, things that are native pests around here. And I've got some background and I can often answer questions on those. But most of my job, like I say, deals with insects that we normally don't have here, like uh Well, we never had Japanese beetle here for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Then it was found in 2012. And one of the main parts of my job for the last six years has been trying to eradicate it from from Boise. And uh, when they hired me, we had 
caught 3,000 of them in Boise, and last year we caught four. So I think we're well on the, our way to that uh, goal. But uh, that's the, the kind of stuff I deal with mostly on a day-to-day basis, putting out traps in orchards and various agricultural fields, uh, looking for insects that the U.S. Department of Ag says is of concern for the country. Mm-hmm. And we, if it's appropriate for Idaho's agriculture, we uh, do surveys to look for it here. Um, so that's what I do a lot in my job here. So as I drive around, sometimes I see those uh, green and yellow traps kind of hanging in conspicuous places. Is that some of the stuff you do? That's the Japanese beetle trap. I was telling okay. I was telling you about that's a trap that's specifically put out to a Japanese beetle is a big pest in the eastern third of the U.S., and we're always worried about it getting transported out here uh, and getting loose and getting established. So those traps, those yellow and green traps, are baited with a pheromone that, if a Japanese beetle was in the area, would be attracted to that trap and and die in that trap. And we check those traps every week or two, mm-hmm. and that way we keep our, our fingers on the pulse of if they're here, where they're here. So like I said, we got Japanese beetle. We needed to eradicate it. So an important thing was knowing where in Boise, what neighborhoods had it because we didn't want to treat places that didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to make sure we got the places that it was getting established in the lawns. So that's why you saw a lot of those traps around Boise for the past uh, several years. Um, well, Paul, tell me about wasps. So I, I know those traps that you're talking about are not for catching wasps, but let's do this. I want I want to educate people about these stinging insects. So uh, what is a wasp? Is that just a common name that refers to several different insects? So most people are f- are familiar with the idea that wasps and bees are very closely related insects. They're considered in the same order, wasps and bees, and it's an order called Hymenoptera. And there are about 20,000 different wasps and bees in North America. And my guess would be about half of those are wasps and the other half are bees. So we're talking about 10,000 kinds of things. Mm-hmm. People understand that they're closely related, but they kind of get confused as to what a, what's really a wasp and what's really a bee. The general consensus for most people would be that w- bees are kind of hairy or fuzzy uh, and wasps are smoother. And that's not a bad distinction. It's not totally true. If you really want to be technical, the difference between a wasp and a bee is that wasps have hair on their body that's just hair, and bees have hair on their body that looks like feathers of a bird, but you have to get it under a microscope to see it. So so that's the big scientific distinction between bees and wasps as to whether they have feathery hairs or straight hairs. I guess another thing is that a lot of wasps are predaceous uh, when they're young and bees generally feed on flower nectar and pollen when they're young. So that's another general difference between bees and wasps. So when you say predaceous, you mean the wasps are predators? Correct. They're predators or scavengers, but wasps, when they're feeding their young, will go out and collect meat 
chew it up and bring it back and feed it to their larvae. Uh, whereas I said bees will go out and collect pollen and nectar, mm-hmm. bring that back and feed it to their larvae. Now, that being said, a lot of adult wasps feed on flower nectar or honeydew from aphids. Uh, that's why you'll see wasps coming to soda and things like that because they're adults. They feed on sugary stuff in their adult stage. But when they're feeding their young, they go out and collect either live animals or insects kill them and chew them up and feed them to their young or they'll come out to your picnic and see a steak there or or grilled fish and go down and chew some of that up and take it back to feed their young so if they're feeding on live insects they're called predators and if they're feeding on things during your uh, barbecue, you would call them scavengers. <laughs> Got it. All right. Well, let's take our first break. And then when we come back, I, I want to find out more about uh, these pesky insects. Summer festival and concert season is here. But is your wardrobe ready for the next big show? D&B Supply will help you look your best with a huge selection of Wrangler shirts, jeans, and more. Wrangler gear is the perfect fit for any night out. Plus, with a wide range of styles, cuts, and sizes, Wrangler will keep you comfortable long after the music stops through the after party and even the after after party so stop by D&B Supply for summer looks that stand out wherever your night takes you tired of choosing between feeding your lawn for a thick green turf and fighting annoying weeds D&B Supply is here to help you do both with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed sometimes feeding your lawn also means feeding unwanted weeds that have taken root That's why Scott's developed Turf Builder Weed and Feed, which uses a weed killer while also feeding your lawn to crowd out the weeds. So get to the root of your lawn issues with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed at your favorite D&B supply. All right, Paul. Well, thanks for explaining uh, the difference, you know, in terms of when wasps are predators, when they're scavengers, and then when they kind of change over to consuming sugary stuff. I wanted to ask you more about them as predators. So can they harm beehives like are bees a competitor or a prey of wasps? Well, uh, I was looking for information on that and I didn't find much. Now, I believe that around here, sometimes wasps will get into beehives and either steal bee honey or maybe even catch bee larvae or bees and chew them up and feed them to their young. But I would think that for the most part, wasps that do that around here, the beehive is already under stress from Mm -hmm. other things. I don't think the the wasps that are native here routinely attack beehives. Uh, There is a and an Asian hornet that's been in the news a lot, which we don't have in the U.S. so far. But apparently in Asia, it attacks beehives and is a big predator on bees. And like I say, I think around here, we may occasionally get wasps going into a beehive if they can sense that the beehive is under stress. Other things are are attacking the bees or killing the bees. The bees might have diseases or whatever. So the wasps might go in there and and be opportunists and take advantage of that. But I don't think that they are uh, generally a a big uh, predator on bees in our area. Now, do all insects that are considered to be wasps, do they all have stingers? Uh, No. And uh, the ones that we think of as pests, uh, I guess I was going to mention that you know, I said about a thou- there are about a thousand kind of wasps mm-hmm. 
in North America, the ones that we consider pests like hornets, yellow jackets, paper wasps that sting people and attack people, we're, we're talking about maybe a few dozen species uh, out of that thousand. So there are hundreds and hundreds of other kinds of wasps that are don't have communities, don't have nests, uh, and a lot of those don't have stingers per se. You can see some of those wasps flying around and landing on flowers. They're called solitary wasps. And a lot of times they look like they have a big stinger stick at the back of them. But those are egg layers that they use to inject their eggs into their prey. Uh, and they can't really use those as stingers. Another thing is that uh, only female wasps have a sting. Sting is evolved from the female's ovipositor. The only females can sting. Now, if you're talking about things like hornets and paper wasps, 99% of the wasps in those nests are females, so they can attack you if they want to. A lot of the solitary, the hundreds of solitary wasps I was talking about, they don't have uh, hives and communities, so about half of them, them are females and half are males, and all the males are completely stingless. Now, the ones that do sting, I've always been told that uh, the difference or one of the differences between a wasp and a bee is that a wasp has multiple stingers or they can sting you multiple times. Is that true or is that just misinformation I've received? Uh, well, a wasp doesn't have multiple stingers. They only have one stinger. The deal is honeybees, and as far as I know, honeybees are pretty much the only bee that, that really does this. Honeybees... Uh, have barbs on their stingers mm-hmm. so that if they sting you, it sticks in your skin and, and the honeybee flies away and the stinger stays behind and half of its guts stay behind pumping venom into you because of the barbs holding the sting in you. Now, most of the other bees and all of the wasps, they have one stinger, but it's smooth. It doesn't have any barbs on it. So they can jab the stinger into you, inject venom in you, pull it out, and it comes right out, and then they can do it again if they want, and then they can do it again if they want. So it's, uh, like I say, they don't have multiple stingers, they just have one, but the stinger doesn't have barbs, so it can go in and out and in and out and sting you multiple times, and the wasp or hornet is not going to die because it's not leaving its stinger behind in, in your skin. Okay, that that makes sense. So it's not multiple stingers. It's just that they can uh, they can continue to punish you if they feel like it. That's that's absolutely correct. <laughs> Let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll see if we can't help people avoid these stings going forward. A well worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark of hardworking and hard playing people in the West and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long lasting, great looking Danner boots at D and B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop by DMB Supply to try Danner boots on for size. The heat is on this summer in more ways than one. Because now is the perfect time to update your old wood fireplace with a gas insert from DNB Supply. Get fired up for the change of seasons with Quadrifier or Heat and Glow stoves and inserts. Safe, easy to use, and money saving. 
A gas insert updates the look of your home and heats it more efficiently. Check out our quadrifier or heat and glow inserts and see why D&B is a real hot spot for quality fireplaces. All right, Paul. Well, now that we're back, I would love to find some ways, if we can, to help people avoid getting stung by wasps uh, for the rest of this season and any season going forward in the future. I guess my first question about that is, are there certain colors that will cause a more aggressive reaction from, from the stinging wasps? Well, I've read that the lighter colors, uh, white and things like that, the, the wasps pay less attention to that. Darker colors, they seem to be, uh, they notice more. Uh, it's probably because if a person's bothering in a nest, they see the silhouette of that person, which will be dark. So apparently darker colors bother them a little more. Uh, also, they feed on flower nectar, so bright colors might not uh, make them more aggressive, but might make you more attractive to them. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, bright red or orange or yellow on, they're going to come closer to you and investigate you. It doesn't sound like the, the dark color thing is really a strong, aggressive thing. It's not that if you wear light shirts, they're going to leave you alone and dark shirts, they're going to come after you. But you know, the general consensus is lighter colors will make you less noticeable or less attractive to them. Now, I live out on a small farm in Cuna, and so I've got places all over the farm that wasps will build nests in, and I, I wind up getting stung a couple times a year. But it, over the years, I've, I've reached a point where I know where almost all the nests are going to be on the farm before they get active i can go out and i can you know i can mitigate this uh, because i already know where they're going to build their nests for the most part so to me that's really interesting i guess my question would be why are they repeating to come back to these same exact spots year after year where they're so predictable so they never come back because wasps generally uh the queen wasp will live a year maximum and then she'll die so there's no way she could come back the following year unless she was a ghost. <laughs> uh, every every year when new nests are, are built, they're built by some queen wasp that was just born at the end of the previous summer. Uh, and she's setting up her first nest in the spring, and that's the only nest she'll have. And by the end of the year, uh, everything in that nest will die. She'll die, and the nest will be empty and, and just uh, fall apart over the winter. Unlike honeybees, which have hives that continue year after year after year and will be replaced, if a queen dies, she'll be replaced by a new queen. Wasps and hornets, because they're completely different from that, they're only in a nest for a year and then everything's gone. And then they start new ones in the spring. And the reason that you would are finding nests in the same place every year probably is just they like that habitat. They've scoped out certain eaves under buildings. Oh, this is a nice sheltered place for me to build a nest, and they build it there or on uh, some equipment that's been sitting around. It's, they like to build their nest usually in some type of sheltered place. So I'm guessing that every year when new uh, wasps and hornets come out to set up a new nest, they're going to look for that same type of sheltered uh, area that mm-hmm. the one on the previous year. 
looking for shelter and then also looking for type of area that's near the type of resources they need. They're going to look for a sheltered area that's near flowers, uh, that's near gardens or foliage where there might be caterpillars and things that they'd feed on. So I think it's just a, you know, not a coincidence that you're fi- you find them in the same place every year, but those are the, the proper conditions. And each year, new wasps seeking out those proper conditions stumble across them and go, oh, this would be a great place for a nest. Well, that makes sense because they're certainly in the, I mean, it's very, very predictable to the point that this year I finally got proactive and went out in, in all those spots that I usually get stung and found the nest early and destroyed them. Uh, so I wouldn't get stung later in the year working. So really, really predictable. But it is just a matter of that they're very good at finding these particular spots. So these particular spots tend to be conducive to their nests. Yeah, and that's if you read articles about wasp control, they always point out that you know you could if you can find them early in the spring when the first wasp comes and starts building the nest. Or, or she may she might have a few babies with her. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect time to get rid of the nest instead of waiting until the middle of the end of the summer when there's 200, 500,000 hornets swarming all over it. And then you're in the middle of that trying to spray wasp spray. Yeah. Uh, if you find places that you've found nests the previous year, go out in April, May and look for the small nests and do yourself a favor and try and get rid of them at that point in time. Well, that certainly worked this year, so I'll have to I'll have to keep being proactive about that. Now, when you when you do stumble upon a nest and this happens to me sometimes, they'll they'll build nests in my tractor and one of the hollow tubes I've got for the for the front end loader or something like that. And so I'll get on the tractor, I'll start it up, I'll lift the loader and I'll notice there's wasps coming out, but I I won't get stung. And so I've always wondered what triggers the sting. Like at what point will they look at a person and go, that's the threat? Is it a matter of distance? Is it a matter of some correlation to the impact on the nest? Uh, How do they determine that? Oh, you'd have to ask the wasp. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't don't know. Uh, Everything we know about wasps and hornets is that they're aggressive when they're protecting their nest because their nest has all their babies in it. So if you find, you know, wasps and hornets at your picnic chewing on your food, you can usually shoo them away and they're not going to attack you to get that food. The time when they're most aggressive is if you get near the nest and they think you're going to mess with them and their babies. So as to how close they'll let you get to the nest, I imagine it's a a bunch of factors like uh, how big the nest is, how many wasps are currently there, how long the nest has been there. You know, that will determine how much energy and food and stuff they've put into that nest. And I'm assuming the bigger it gets, the more protective they're going to be of it Mm -hmm. as opposed to early in the year. Temperature and, and things like that ambient temperature are going to have something to do with it. If you go out in your tractor and lift that up and see the wasp nest and it's a cool, cloudy day, they're going to be less aggressive than if it's around 95 degrees and a hot sun and they've been flying around for several hours before you got there. So I don't think there's any one thing you can say that, well, they're going to attack you if you get within five feet or two feet or whatever. 
going to be so many of these uh, things added together, and maybe they just got up on the wrong side of the hive that <laughs> and they're just in a nasty mood, or or they just went out that morning and found lots of fresh food, and they're feeling kind of satiated. So all those all those things are probably going to determine what your chances are of being stung, mm-hmm. and you're not going to know what all those things are until you start poking around. It's also going to depend on the you know, what species of of wasp or hornet you're dealing with too. You know, one of our most common and most aggressive hornets is the yellow jacket, the western yellow jacket. But it tends to make its nest underground, so you you might not come across that as often as something like a paper wasp might make it on your farming equipment. Something like a bald-faced hornet, uh, they tend to make their nests up in trees, so they're less aggressive than those other two species because their chances of running into a human are less. So they've just evolved to be less aggressive Mm -hmm. in most cases. But once in a while, a bald-faced hornet might make a nest, you know, down close to somebody's picnic table or something. And in that case, everything we you know about bald-faced hornets is going to be out the window. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take another break. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about control and also about, uh, about the contribution to the ecosystem that wasps have. Feeding your pet's lifelong health starts with science, and that's exactly what's behind Hill Science Diet. Made by vets, scientists, and nutritionists, Hill Science Diet offers biology-based nutrition for all pets with formulas for every age, size, and special requirement or need, like joint health and weight loss that create differences you can see, feel, and trust. No wonder it's the number one veterinarian-recommended pet food. So pick up Hill Science Diet at D&B Supply today. You wear jeans, but you live in Levi's. At DMB Supply, we've got a pair to fit you just right. Iconic and hardworking. Levi's are legendary. Worn by cowboys, rock stars, and everyday people, we carry different washes, styles, and sizes for both men and women. These jeans are ready for anything your day brings, from working outside to a night on the town. The denim legacy lives on every time you put them on. So pick up some Levi's at DMB. All right, Paul. Well, I've got a I've got a question. You know, I assume that even though we look at or at least somebody like myself looks at a wasp as a pest and something to be avoided and something I I rather wish wasn't there, I assume there's a there's a reason for them, there's a contribution to the ecosystem or to the environment or or something they're doing that's a positive. What is that in the case of, you know, yellow jackets, hornets, things that can sting you and and really bug you? Well, me being an entomologist, I love insects. And they don't need a reason to be there other than that they're great and they're interesting and they're part of the world. And uh, a lot of the insects I know I like better than people. So to me, I don't go looking for a reason for them to be allowed to live. <laughs> right. But the general public, general public usually does. They they look at all the animals and things around them and ways whether are they doing something bad to me or are they doing something good for me, mm-hmm. you know. We get honey from them. We get wax from them. They pollinate our flowers. They're great, you know. Unless you're allergic to them and you get stung by one and you're in the hospital, then then might not be the case. Uh, hornets, wasps, same thing. If you have to give them a reason for being alive, 
they're generally considered to be beneficial insects because they do feed on caterpillars and slugs and aphids and other other insects that people usually consider garden pests, agricultural pests, things like that. So uh, they're you know even though the the wasps and hornets aren't doing it to be a biological control agent for a gardener, that's what they kind of end up doing. The gardeners out there and wants doesn't want caterpillars and squash bugs and stuff in their garden, and that just happens to be what paper wasps and hornets like to eat. So they're spend you know I said they collect them to feed to their young. So they spend a lot of time out there cleaning up your uh, garden and your lawn and your yard of these other insects that you would consider pests. Also, since the adults feed on flower nectar, they're crawling around in flowers, poking in there to get nectar, and they're picking up pollen on their body and they're doing some pollination. I said they're not as hairy as a lot of bees, so they're not doing as much pollination as a bee would, but just by being in the flowers, they can't help but doing some collateral pollination. So I think those two things make them easy enough to look at as well. You know, these guys are doing something good for us Mm -hmm. and we should let them live if we can. Uh, If they're not in our face and in an area where we're going to get in conflict with them and they're going to sting us, uh, if their nest is off in a place where the, you're not going to accidentally get them mad at you, they're out there eating a lot of your uh, lawn pest that you would otherwise be spending money buying pesticides to kill sure. the grubs and the caterpillars and the aphids and those sorts of things. So you, you'll save money if you leave the hornets and wasps there to do their job. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned the allergic reaction that people have to bees. Do people have allergic reaction to wasps? Do some people suffer from that? Some people do because, um, again, people often say, oh, I got bit by a bee or I got bit by a wasp. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't generally bite people. They sting you. And when they sting you, they inject venom into your body, which contains a lot of weird chemicals that that, uh, make you hurt and make you swell up. And some people, and it's estimated about 1% of the population has some type of allergic reaction to, uh, to these stings. You know, most of the time you'll get stung and it'll hurt for a few hours and your body takes care of it. But about 1% or 2% of the population, when they get stung and these uh, chemicals get injected into their body, uh, they can have an allergic reaction, which can cause you to have trouble breathing or pain that will last for several days. You might have to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So it's it happens, but in in a small small uh, number of people, probably about fifty people a year might die from a honeybee sting, and about fifty people a year might die from wasp stings. Um, so it happens. Well, let's take our final break. When we come back, let's talk about controlling wasps, at least in the areas where we come in conflict. Am I right? 
Sounds good. Are you ready for a steal? Then stop by DMB to pick up steel power tools. German engineered, these power players offer quality that never quits, like the steel MS271 Farm Boss Chainsaw, available for just $429.95 with a 20-inch bar and chain. Show your project list who's boss and leave it in your sawdust. With legendary chainsaws, dependable trimmers, forceful blowers, and epic tools of the trade, steel powers through anything. Grab a steel at your favorite DMB supply. After a long day on your feet, nothing feels better than slipping into some twisted X moccasins. So pick up a pair at DNB Supply. These aren't your ordinary shoes. With roots in western boots, Twisted X creates handcrafted, comfortable moccasins that stand out from the pack. They capture the spirit of the American West from the design down to the soles. Find your new favorite comfort shoes with a pair of Twisted X moccasins. Available at your favorite DNB Supply. All right, Paul. Well, let's kind of round this episode out by giving people some really good practical advice on what they can do to control the wasps in areas where they are coming in conflict with them. Now, uh, you made some very good points, and I agree with you. I think they, you know, if if you don't have to destroy their nest, they're going to be doing some good things. So let's not do that. But in the areas where uh, it's just going to be impossible to say work or get your work done or or just you know, enjoy where you're at because of a nest. And if you're going to try and get rid of them, my go-to is to spray the nest. Is that the main go-to or is there other ways to deal with that? So I guess it depends on, on how bad the problem is. You know, like you said, if if they have a nest somewhere and it's not bothering you, it's good to let them do their thing. If you have, to have a nest where you're going to unfortunately come in conflict with them, uh, you're going to have to do something about it. And there are basically two things you can do. One is destroy the nest. And the way to do that would be uh, getting some type of wasp spray, which uh, sprays a foam and into the nest and pretty much destroys the nest and poisons all the wasps that are there. Mm-hmm. So that's going to take care of it by wiping them out. And if if you have to do that, it's a pretty effective thing to do, though I would point out that the best time to do that is in the evening after it starts to cool down and gets or gets dark because that's when most of the wasps are back at their nest. Okay. And uh, so you're going to get most of the bang for your buck. And also they're the least active, so they're not going to come out after you when you're trying to destroy the nest. That's the uh, way to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. If you can just... Uh, decrease the number of wasps and hornets in your area by putting out traps. That's never going to wipe them out, but it may keep the numbers down so that they're low enough so that they aren't uh, bothering you. There are a number of traps you can put out that will attract wasps. You either put bait into them, uh, like fruit or meat, uh, and they'll come to the traps, climb in the traps to get the bait Mm -hmm. and get stuck in there. There's also a synthetic chemical called uh, heptobutyrate, which is very attractive to hornets. It won't do anything for paper wasps. They're not attracted to it. But hornets and yellow jackets are attracted to heptobutyrate. So a lot of these uh, hornet traps have that synthetic chemical in them, which will attract them, draw them in, and then they'll get stuck in there and usually drowned. So that's a way if you can just decrease the number of wasps in your area so that it's uh, okay for you, and they there are still wasps doing their job. 
that might be a, a better route to go rather than completely destroying the nest so you can avoid mm-hmm. it. Those traps, do they uh, do they attract wasps into your yard or into your property that otherwise wouldn't have been there because they have the bait? That's probably going to happen. Wasps, my understanding in the literature is that they'll typically fly up to about a mile from their nests looking for uh, food. So if they find food closer, they'll stay closer to the nest, but they'll go up to a mile away. So if you put uh, attractive traps in your yard, it's probably going to draw some in that weren't in your yard to begin with. Mm -hmm. One of the publications I read from U of I suggested that if you have a typical size yard, about four to six traps around the perimeter of the yard might be sufficient for keeping the numbers down. But they also point out that wherever you put those traps up, make sure you put them about 20 feet away from where people are going to gather. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like you surmised, wasps are coming to those traps are going to be drawn from other areas. Okay. So if you put the traps right close to where your barbecue is going to be, you're going to be drawing wasps to your barbecue because they'll come to the traps and then they might uh, you know, not quite go in the trap and they'll be near you um, and and might uh, mess with your food mm-hmm. or get aggressive if you get aggressive with them. Now, there's a few different types of traps that I've seen. There's there's the reusable ones where you'll empty it out and you'll rebate it. Then there's the disposable bag type traps. Do Does one of those or any of those types work better than the other? I don't think one works better than the other because they're pretty much the same type of trap. They're baited with the same stuff and the wasp gets in and gets destroyed. I think it's mostly, you know, what makes you feel good. It's kind of like a mouse trap sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You can buy a mouse trap where the mouse gets squashed and then you have to open the trap and dump the mouse out. Or you can buy a mouse trap where the mouse goes in and you hear a click and you throw the whole thing away and you never see it. Mm-hmm. So I think the hornet and wasp traps would be about evenly uh, work the same. It's just, you know, what makes you feel comfortable in disposing things. If you don't want to see or touch the wasps, get a disposable one. If you don't mind emptying them and refilling them, it'll probably save you a little bit of money and be a little more eco-friendly than filling up the the landfill with plastic wasp traps. Right. Now, what about natural predators? Is there anything we can invite, for lack of a better term, to our to our homes, to our properties, you know, some some bird with a bird box or something like that that's a natural predator of wasps? Well, I'd like to say yes, you know, oh, we can do this to help promote wasps, but they do have natural enemies like birds and and lizards and some other insects might feed on them. Uh, they have diseases that fungus and bacteria diseases that attack them. So they do have natural enemies, but there's not a whole lot that, that I could find in the literature that we could do to really promote those. You know, if you have pests like aphids, mm-hmm. uh, you can get ladybugs to uh, attack right. the aphids. Right. But there's not uh, much that I know we can do to promote uh, wasp natural enemies other than have a, a, a healthy uh, population of wasps and hornets for the natural enemies to feed on. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's kind of, um, 
the flip side of the sword. You know, if you've got some wasps and hornets around, it's going to uh, help those natural enemies stay around and be there and feed on them, as opposed to if you got rid of all the wasps and hornets, all the natural enemies are going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And then when wasps and hornets move in, you have to wait for that cycle to build up again. Right. So you know, it may seem counterproductive, but if you can keep some wasps and hornets around, you're going to help keep their natural enemies around that way. Well, this has been fascinating, and you're a wealth of information, Paul. And yeah, you know, we just want to we just want to live in harmony with wasps and stop getting stung at least more than two or three times a summer. At least that's that's the case for me. But I really do appreciate you sharing this with us, and hope this uh, this helps some folks out to to mitigate this on their own properties and and peaceably coexist. It's a good uh, a good goal to peaceably coexist with with all our uh, animal and insect neighbors. Uh, I will point out once again that out of all the thousands of wasps that are out there, mm-hmm. uh, there are you know maybe about a dozen uh, local ones that that build build nests and aggressively protect them. So we're only dealing with a few species. If you see lots of other kinds of wasps on your flowers in your pollinator garden, for the most part, they're going to be solitary, very non-aggressive wasps. Mm -hmm. So I would especially enjoy those for for what they're doing and not not worry about them uh, because they don't build nests that they try to protect and that Mm -hmm. you're going to come in conflict with them. So... You know, keep your eyes open for all those other interesting wasps in your yard and your neighborhood, too, that you don't have to worry about. All right. Well, Paul, thank you so much for this today. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing. Thanks again for inviting me. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For The D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. <laughs>